everyone to the Disco Posse podcast. My name is Eric Wright. I'm going to be your host today. Don't forget to keep following along. You can go to discopossepodcast.com, get show notes, links, and more. You can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. And with that, let's get started. And it's on. All right. Welcome to the uh, Disco Posse podcast. Uh, we're, we're, we're kind of rolling through, I'll say we're rolling through folks I know that are particularly good at doing what I'm trying to do uh, here. So if you're a fan of the podcast, you've kind of listened to, we've talked about technical stuff, we've talked about business, we've talked about marketing, we kind of, we cover the gamut on, on everything, personal certifications and growth and productivity. Uh, and so today I want to kind of explore the content marketing conundrum uh, mm. and, and what's good and, and what's challenging. Uh, and with that, I'd like to welcome Drew Conry Murray. Drew is, uh, you know, a long time sort of friend in the industry. I've been very lucky to be able to do some, uh, some community side stuff uh, through Interop and through a bunch of things. So Drew, if you want to uh, welcome award, introduce yourself, show, uh, show us where we can find you online and, and then we're going to get rolling. Hi, Eric. Yeah, I am content director at PacketPushers.net, which is a network of podcasts. We also do blogs and video and stuff. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. It's Drew underscore CM, D-R-E-W underscore CM on Twitter. And I'm blogging all the time and doing podcasts over at PacketPushers.net. It, it was sort of the, the big stuff I want to really hit on just because we've got, we've had, I feel like I'm always old when I say this, we've had such a great history together <laughs> around for a long time. Um, but uh, it's, you've kind of, you've swung into this. It may not even have been your, your original goal, but you know, let, let's talk about what you, what you're doing right now at, at Packet Pushers and kind of what you say, like, what's the thing that I do and, and what, why is it particularly cool how I do it? Yeah, so what I do at Pack Pushers, one of the things I do is a, a, a podcast, a weekly podcast called The Network Break with Greg Farrow, where we do some analysis on IT news and tech trends and just provide some context around what's going on in the industry uh, for folks uh, in the IT industry who want to sort of keep up on new products, on trends, on uh, market developments. On we, we also cover some financial reporting to find out you know the health of uh, the big tech companies and what they're up to. We talk about startups. Uh, and just general technology trends and, and how the industry is evolving and changing. Uh, I also blog on new products, so we, we get a lot of briefings from vendors, and so I'll write up a, a new product report. I also just write about technology, the IT industry in general. Uh, and lately, the Packet Push have started something called the Virtual Design Clinic, which is like a, a quarterly, half-day live event. We kind of think of it as a mini-conference where we have technical presentations, panelists, and a sponsor presentation. Um, and, it, and it happens online, so you actually get like slides and stuff instead of just a podcast with audio. That there's also a video component to this uh, virtual design clinic, so that's something new we're trying. Yeah, the design clinic's really neat, and it's funny. I was whenever you start to describe it, you're like it's virtual design. I'm like, oh no, I have the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 so. What's really interesting for me is I. Yeah, I've learned from being a content creator that, and I've gotten advice from folks uh, who along the way, I was like, oh, I'd start, I'd be three quarters through an article or something. And, and then I, I'd see something come up that was similar online. I'm like, uh, trash bin, you know, like I, <laughs> there, there goes that plan of originality. And then I got kind of coached by a bunch of people saying like, Hey, no, it's remember you've got a different audience. You've got a different voice that you bring to it. And, and that's perspective. absolutely yeah. yeah so it's even if it seems similar you know don't make it like lather rinse repeat similar uh which is and that's a weird thing that's kind of going on in uh, i'll call it the influencer marketing type of space right now mm. where you you get companies who are like here's the seven tweets you're going to send out this week and then what <laughs> happens is we're fundamentally lazy so we go retweet and and that's it like that's that's done send me my t-shirts you know like no 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 like we we actually brought you in because we love your thought we love your voice on it and we've kind of removed voice but that's a that's a whole i've got a different podcast that's coming up very soon on that very very thing but uh-huh like authenticity yeah well and just the the challenge of influencer marketing as a as a thing of like when you mm -hmm. get a large community of people but then you give them their voice versus asking them to use their voice. Right, 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 exactly, yeah. And yeah. so let me tell you, using your voice 
wow, you got Greg. That's cool. Like he, there's, there's, <laughs> there's no way he won't, you know, use his, uh, he's very, very, very open, very honest, uh, dangerously. So <laughs> yeah, something like, he tells you what he thinks. Yeah. And it's, it's powerful. And, and I think that's, that goes to the authenticity that your team brings to it. And, and I recently had, had Ethan Banks on, of course, who's on the packet pushers with you mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, that, that was really neat again, like to kind of talk about the way that your you approach things is, is very interesting. So, you know, as a, you know, so what's your, what's your day to day and what's your kind of week to week like there at the packet pushers? Uh, day to day is generally about making sure the podcasts get out the door. We're putting out three to five podcasts a week. So there's a lot of production coordination, getting guests. Uh, if it's a sponsored podcast, making sure the sponsor has had a chance to approve the final podcast, they've got to listen to it and make sure they are happy with it. Um, but I also do a lot of writing, um, like I said, blogging, uh, tweeting. Uh, so it's generally, it is a, a content job. It's, it's about getting content out the door in all its various forms that we're producing. Newsletters, I do a ton of newsletters as well. So yeah, a lot of writing, a lot of editing, uh, and a lot of coordination. <laughs> Any one of those things is a full-time gig. So like, how do you, <laughs> how do you manage to, to make this you know, obviously like this is your full-time gig. So it's, you know, that's a little different. Some people kind of want to start off the side of the desk and it becomes challenging. At some point you hit this weird inflection point where like, I can't, I'm not effectively producing, you know, and, and production is a weird thing. It's like, I say producing literally in, in everything, like changing the quality of outputs, you know, taking existing podcasts. And, and when we say produce a podcast, it doesn't mean just like talking to the microphone for 45 minutes and then, and then cram it out. You literally, you know, there work, there's work that goes into it. There's work during it and there's work after it, right? What is that? What is yeah, that? If there, if, I think if the podcast is going to be good, I, I, I think there's an impression that a podcast is just sort of rolling up to the mic with your buddies and, and chatting about whatever's on the top of your mind uh, for 45 minutes. And you can do that, but it's not necessarily going to be good. We put a lot of work into preparation ahead of the podcast. Um, if we've got a podcast coming up, we work on a script. Uh, you know, we're not reading from a script, but we have... Uh, we have to do some background research to make sure we understand the topic deeply. We have to have questions in mind to guide the conversation. We want to have sort of a little narrative. Uh, we've got to um, yeah, make sure we understand the topic. We've got to uh, have an arc and a structure and preparation. Uh, so all that takes time. Uh, and then, of course, there's the actual time of the recording, which is probably the easiest part because that's when you do just show up. But if you don't do the prep work ahead of time, the, I think the content quality at the end is not going to be as good as it could be. And then of course, at the end, there's all of the editing work, uh, the production work, uh, any approvals process the podcast has to go through. And then there's the, the backend production of getting it up on our site, adding a blog to it, putting in links to it, getting a graphic image, all that stuff. So yeah, that, that <laughs> it takes up a surprising amount of time. I'm tired just listening to it. Like I, <laughs> I know, you know, it's weird when I tell people, they say, you know, you meet somebody at a party. What do you do for a living? I, I work for a tech marketing company. We do podcasting. And they're like, oh, so you don't really have a job? I'm like, no, really, I do. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's like when you say, like, what do you do? I'm an actor. Oh, great. So which Starbucks do you yeah, work at? That's, right. <laughs> like, that's not a real job, is it? Like, no, no this is actually a, this is a really, really tough job. And, uh, and do it well. It's tough when it's being done at a quality level and consistency level. And, and that's the difference of, you know, if, if people are just getting rolling, you know, I'm an, an example, right? I, I don't know, I don't know that many more than a, than a few hundred people listen to this. And, uh, but I figure that's a good start. And, you know, that's, that's kind of, you have to start talking to yourself and a microphone and, and one other person <laughs> and then eventually ramp up to the point where you, you tune it to the audience and they feed back and then you kind of, you know, add nuance. So how much of your output changes as you get feedback from people that are kind of saying, Hey, loved this show, you know, this show sound a little bit contrived. Like, do you use that to kind of change the way you do things in the future? We do. So in some ways with like the, the, the main uh, podcast that Packet Pushers produces, which has been rebranded to Heavy Networking, it used to be called The Weekly Show. That's been going on for like seven years. So I think, you know, if you listen to early episodes, you may see some differences. But at this point, I think Ethan and Greg have generally figured out something that works, that resonates with the audience. So maybe you tweak a little bit around the edges, but that's pretty fixed. But we do take reader or listener feedback very seriously in terms of, that topic was good or you didn't do a good job on that topic or could you talk about this or hey what about this point um particularly like with the network break which is more of a new show if greg or i say something and then we get 
new information later on the next week or the next month, we can issue a correction and say, Hey, we were wrong about this, or we have to change this. So feedback is important. Um, but I, I think because the packet push has been doing it so long, they've got a good sense of what's going to work and what's going to resonate. We do have some new podcasts that we're experimenting with. One is IPV, IPv6 buzz, which is all about IPv6. So that's, uh, I think like 16 episodes. So that's where we can play with formatting a little, or maybe get some uh, readers, listener suggestions and, and figure out if we want to tweak it. Um, but in general, I think we love feedback because we want to know what's working and what's not, but the format it, it's, it's kind of is what it is. And you're, you've really tackled some interesting like niche topics now. And that's, what's cool. You've got the base so you can say like, Hey, let's, let's try IPv6. Yeah. Can you imagine, you know, 15 years ago in your life, like, you know what I'm going to do one day, I'm going to do a little mini series on IPv6 in a podcast. And you'd, yes. you'd, you'd just look at yourself like what dream world am I in? Like, this is bizarre, but that's, we can do that now. And, and I think, I heard a great quote. Um, it was, you know, they were talking about this, this next generation, like what does podcasting do? And it kind of opens the doors from like having to write it down. When you listen to the conversations, it changes the way you consume it. And we used to have this thing where like network television was, you know, 22 minutes, right, of actual contents speckled between commercials. And, mm -hmm. and there was a particular flow. And even the radios, like I said, I was joking when, on the, when I had Ethan on, you know, this whole idea of like, oh, New Jersey chime time, ding, <laughs> you know, traffic and weather together in the 11s. Here we go. Exactly. And you had these things so you could never have a well-formed conversation or you kind of get the talking head like, the the you've got a six minute segment on a new show or something and that's the thing they're like okay perfect so let's talk about how we can solve world political you know strife uh okay go one of seven people and then talk over each other for six minutes and say all right and uh, don't get this job yeah. right you know like you you actually never get to the meat so you get to the meat and we can get to the meat. And I, and also talking about audience, you mentioned, you know, hundreds of listeners. That's great. If those listeners are getting something out of it, you've achieved something. Uh, and if you're bringing people back regularly to hear what you have to say uh, and to interact with you, that's fantastic. And I think that's what's why podcasting can be effective as, you know, a medium whose numbers don't necessarily need to mimic that of broadcast television. Yeah. And, and what I love is even as a consumer of this information is I, at first, I started off with like, okay, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe to like 11 podcasts. Wow, that goes out of control really fast. <laughs> yes. I realized like I don't, I'd have to quit my job and hire a second listener, you know, as a, yourself, yes. yeah, exactly. I'll hire some, I'll outsource my podcast listening and have them like collect it together in a blog. Like, oh, wait a minute, I've reversed the whole trend. But so what happened was I started to find good voices that I liked, like people that converse that really get to the meat. And then I would wait to see, like I would read their podcast, like, oh, so I would read the notes and actually, and then see like, ah, here's a person or a subject that I'm keen on and then go in and I'll, I'll set that one up in, in the queue. Uh, because every once in a while I would just have like 19, 20 of them in the queue and like, there's no physical way I can listen to them. So I would just claim podcast bankruptcy, dump them all. And then like, pick a bunch and start again. And every, every quarter or so I have to go through and, and kind of clear the stream a bit, but, um, absolutely. And that's why I'm I, you know grateful to the folks who listen to us regularly, because I know that, uh, one time is limited. So that that opportunity to spend 30 to 45 minutes focusing on just one thing, uh, is really valuable. And so if, if they're, I think we recognize that folks giving us that time, uh, is almost like a gift. And so we try to be very respectful of that, which goes back to that preparation and having some structure and having some value to the conversation. Um, yeah, so it, it, there's so much to choose from. I guess that's the downside of the, the, this narrow cast medium uh, of the internet and podcasting is that there's a podcast for literally everything in the world. Uh, so your podcatcher could fill up very quickly. You got to be judicious about where you're spending your time. And so that's what we try to keep in mind as we do our structure in our shows is, is this valuable? Is this worth it? Yeah, and it's funny. It's not, and you can't just like, you can't just breeze through it. Like I looked at, you know, if I write a great blog and it's, you know, 700 words, then they, you know, people spend on average about just over one minute on a blog, according to my <laughs> analytics. Yes. If I write a, yes, a, yes a, our analytics are the same for yeah, Packet Pushers blog. Yeah. yeah. 
if I write an amazing 1500 word blog, people spend just over a minute. I'm like, you know, <laughs> I, I've, I've doubled the amount of content, but they spend on average the same amount of time. So what does that mean is that people kind of land, skim, and, and then they exit. And that's fair enough. Like they may, they may have gotten it through a Google search or something, but podcasts, you can't just drop in, listen to three minutes, assume you've got the whole, the whole show. And right. you're a runner. Like you, even if you listen to it at, at, you know, double time speed, which is which kind of fun. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I find like 1.5 is like my sweet spot. I can listen to a normal person at 1.5 and it still sounds like them. We, we get that feedback, yeah, that folks listen to us at 1.5. Yeah, and, so, and then they meet you in person, and, they, and we must sound like Ben Stein in real life, like, so how are you doing? <laughs> like that Bugs Money episode, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I always say, if you actually, here's a funny one. If you listen to Andy Jassy on stage, and you take Ben Stein, and you run him at one and a half times, same voice. So that's, I, you'll never unlisten, unhear that, that whenever you hear Andy Jassy speaks, it sounds like Ben, ben Stein on, on speed. Um, so content, you, you have to have a mind as a consumer when you're a podcast and content producer. Mm -hmm. how, did, how, did you, you know, how did you start into the production of stuff based on you know, your history of as a consumer? So I, I started uh, in this industry as a tech reporter, uh, came up through uh, tech print back when there was print through magazines like information week and network computing, uh, and then online. <clears throat> and then I got a job, uh, putting together the technical content for the interop conference, uh, for a few years. So I've been working with content and having to consume content, uh, from both ends, essentially like putting out valuable information for people. And also as like a reporter and blogger, having to take in information and figure out stuff and figure out, you know, what's real and what's, more BSE. Uh, so then consuming, I think being a content consumer is probably the best preparation for being a content creator and, and content marketing as a vehicle. Yeah. Cause you get a sense of what works, what doesn't, what resonates with you, what makes sense and what feels like you can very quickly tell between sort of a naked sales pitch and, and something that actually has meat in it. Well, and it's funny, here's the interesting thing I, I've started to like, as I talk to more and more people who are producers and, and creators of content, whether whatever the medium is, it, there is a difference and, and this is, there is a, a separation of the way that you can judge consumption, not just in your own choice. Like, so you've, you went from like, you took in, like you read articles and then you learned how to write articles. And you probably tuned to that. And now you kind of know, here's the intro, here's the, here's the arc, here's mm -hmm. the closer. Like, you know how to kind of format stuff and it becomes almost formulaic, but the, the guardrails of that formula let you work very freely and very efficiently into content production because of it. But a lot of people, you know, they just like, I don't like this. So nobody likes this. And there's a, it's, <laughs> it's tough to separate from that opinion, right? If I, I may not listen to, I listen to a lot of different things. I listen to very opposing views on purpose because I want to hear what, you know, kind of the other side thinks or believes, or I want to hear stuff that's very outside my traditional narrative. And then it, I bring that back to when I produce content of like, Ooh, okay, well, if this is how opposing views you know, talk and, and, and listen and believe, then let me kind of roll that in and, and triangulate with my own views and my own capabilities. Yeah. And I think you bring up a good point about structure and formula, uh, that, that can be a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, on the good side, I have sort of a general structure when I write a blog about, you know, what information am I trying to get up upfront right away? And then how I to sort of build a, a narrative into diving into more detail as we get down in the bottom. But it, as long as if you read the first paragraph, you should know exactly what I'm talking about and be able to walk away with some nugget of information on the downside <clears throat> formula. You can tell like vendor press releases are so formulaic. They're almost like, I don't read the first two paragraphs with press releases because I know it's just going to be crammed with filler, like market leading digital transformation, blah, blah. And it's not going to tell me anything. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's when formula gets very frustrating. We're like, okay, I know you sort of have to, you know, stamp this out, but ugh, help me out a little bit. Right. Give me, give me something. 
You mean every company isn't industry leading, game changing, market leading? Like, <laughs> I, I, it makes me it makes me a little inside when I've got to help to edit a press release because it's part of the deal. But there's a weird thing, and and I wonder, like, so there's a consumer for that. Like, there's a reason we do it that way. And you and I, I always say, like, we are not the audience. You're and, probably right. Yeah, you're probably right that we are not the audience. Yeah. And I, and I'm always I try to be mindful of that as I as I got and it's funny as when you I, fight back. <laughs> oh yeah, I just cringe like you said. And it's like you know here's the here's the we we we. Then there's the neat thing we just did. Then there's quotes from from you know you get your customer, people. your analyst quote, and your executive quote. Yes, right. Yeah, oh, you've done this before. <laughs> <laughs> Not my first press release. Yeah, but it's it's out there and whether whether right or wrong you know probably there's nuance like you know every once in a while we should sort of go back and health check it, it are these being consumed you know other than by other pr people and and i've got a huge respect for that because when i started you know at my particular gig like i'm not media trained i'm not pr trained i just happen to have been a content creator and so mm-hmm. they, well He's written enough stuff and he hasn't written too many dumb things. So oh, oh, <laughs> hey, we'll give him some rope. You do words good. Come over here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And it was, there, there's, so training, right? Like I, did you, did you go to school for this? Like did, how did this come to be that this is what you do? I was an English major. Uh, so yeah, that's probably, I guess in, in terms of my English degree didn't, do have any kind of specific training around uh, like marketing or journalism. It was straight literature. Um, so I, I think it was useful because I think reading good writing is key to being able to put together decent sentences. Um, but mostly it's practice, honestly. It's, it's you, you get an assignment, you have to write it, an editor beats it up, uh, shows you what you did wrong, you go back and do it again, they beat it up some more. and that pain is a feedback mechanism and you <laughs> you accept it and you get on with it and then you learn to reduce that pain by doing a better job the next time. So it's it mostly practice, I think, at practice and feedback. It, and the editorial process is interesting because when you don't have that and you're, you're doing your own content, like I, you start to realize you can, you can go off, you can get a style and it, it works in one particular vein, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, did you, did you find early resistance to the editorial process as you were creating like, look, this is, it's fine. (laughs) Why do you keep changing everything? (laughs) It can be frustrating. Uh, If you're working with an editor who's good though, and who is thinking about the reader and the audience, you you, kind of just have to grit your teeth. You can push back on a few things, but I think in general, a good editor tends to be right. And everybody benefits from editing, whether it's a friend looking over a draft, whether it's yourself writing something, walking away for a little while and coming back to it with fresh eyes. Uh, either of those are, are very useful uh, to, to get that perspective and feedback. And it hurts sometimes, but you just got to suck it up. There's a, an expression in literature uh, from uh, literary editors, uh, the advice is kill your darlings. So when you've crafted this beautiful, loving, wonderful little paragraph or sentence, you think, ah, this gem is just going to make the whole thing sell. Usually it's crap and you just got to chuck it and just think about being clean and efficient and getting to the point. Yeah. And and I I guess it's, and taking those first, those, those bits of feedback, you know, that's why I would, I, I encourage folks that are doing, you know, blogging or doing whatever, use peer feedback at the very least. I'd look to most likely you've got somebody adjacent to you in the industry that's going to be like, hey, you know, love this. Uh, I would cut this down or whatever. Uh, there, there's good opportunity because we don't, as bloggers and, and podcasters, there's no like, podcast editor who's out there saying like submit all your stuff and they're going to listen to the whole thing saying well, I would have said it differently if I was you right? like there's there's no chance and that's why a lot of people talk about this kind of Gutenberg type of revolution that we've got with podcasting now because you can have long form conversations and people will dig in through the entirety they'll pause in the middle you know go to work and then get on the train and listen to the second half of the conversation and know right. where it where it picked up and what's neat is the familiarity of voice. It's kind of like we watch, you know, Game of Thrones. And you can literally binge an entire season. And by the time you're done, you, you feel like you're part of the story. And, and that's what I love versus like the written word where it's like it's neat. It can pull you in. Uh, 
but the actual, the voice that you attach to it and the personality comes through. And then when you go back and you read something by that person, so when I read, you know, Ethan's writing and I read Greg's writing and I read your content, I literally read it in your voice because that's interesting. Uh-huh. I've, I've yeah. heard it, right? And so you hear right. the nuances of how you say things. People read me, they probably read project and process and weird, like Canadianisms. <laughs> they put the Canadianisms in. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you start to, to find those nuances. I actually, so this is funny. One of my team members, I said, like, can you help me to craft up some stuff? It's like, even it's like copy for a, a webinar or whatever. And she knows, she, so she just writes like, oh, you know, jump on in for some community goodness. Like that was the opener. And I'm like, that is literally just me. I can go home now. Like it's just <laughs> it's really bizarre things that I say. My, my I work say. here is finished. <laughs> exactly. I can be replaced by a machine. <laughs> There's AI out there that can do it, you know. And that was the famous, the famous Tim Ferriss uh, podcast or uh, blog, April Fool's joke that he did many years ago, where he, he did an April Fool's joke, and it said it was his blog saying that thanks to the magic of the four-hour work week and the style of outsourcing my work, I've actually been outsourcing this blog from the start. I've never actually created the content. I've, this is, my name is like Venu and I've been writing the blog, you know, <laughs> with a team of people, you know, out of, out of Mumbai for, for a decade. And, and people got like, they were irate, like, Oh my goodness. You know? And then he had to come back and like, Hey, so just kidding, just kidding. Like, no, I've, I've actually been creating this blog. But when you, when you get that voice well enough, you can actually emulate other writers. And and I think it also goes back to what you're saying about that sort of intimacy you can build with an audience, particularly through podcasts, because you, you get a person's voice and, and timber and inflection that you wouldn't don't always necessarily get through writing, or at least it's more clear and direct in a podcast. And it's literally coming right into your head uh, through your ears. And so if there's that if you feel like if, it, if if you feel like this person is authentic and you're sort of creating a bond with them to have that potentially be violated later on, like it was all just a put on arg. Yeah, that's right. So the 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 whole thing of you see you got an English major, you get into uh, you know, you end up in media print. Miss that? Like I kind of <laughs> I miss those days because I used to actually have time to sit down and and do it, and you know we we just consume differently. How have you seen? your approach to content creation evolve as the industry evolved? I mean, in some, some things are still the same. The, the content has to be good. Uh, it has to be compelling. It has to have some energy. It has to have something useful in it. Uh, that, that hasn't changed regardless of the medium. Um, <clears throat> there's more flexibility. There's more entry for folks to get in, like all the great blogs that uh, I read, you know, back when there was, you know, a couple of big print magazines covering the tech industry, those voices, you know, maybe you'd write a letter to the editor, literally a letter to the editor, or maybe an email as time went on and you could get your voice in that way. But otherwise, you know, those folks didn't have an opportunity really to share their experiences unless they were speaking at a conference or, uh, you know, got hired as a writer or something or as a guest or a columnist or whatever. Now with blogs, if, if you've got something to say and you've got some expertise and a little knowledge to share, you can set up a blog and do it and just go. Uh, and so that explosion of, of voice and opportunity is vastly different. The, the media gatekeepers, the traditional media gatekeepers, they haven't vanished. They're still there. Um, but the barriers to entry are much lower now. So when do we call traditional media, you know, dead or, or like, or dying at least like, what, what do you think that, that, that death and that, that change looks like if they don't evolve? Wow. That's a big question. Uh, I mean, I think we're seeing with the newspaper industry, the struggles to, uh, particularly with local journalism to find ways to support it. If advertising isn't there anymore, if the, all the advertising dollars have been sucked up by social media, what does that mean for local journalism? I think that's probably the biggest crisis we have in terms of media. Um, Otherwise, I think, you know, folks have pretty much, I, I think we, we've sort of figured it out. If you want to make a viable business, you've got to have a very clear audience. You've got to have some kind of financial model, whether it's advertising or sponsorship or people paying you directly. And then you've got to regularly produce good content to keep people coming back. What's interesting is the change that and if it happened a few years ago was that they were 
there was a case that had gone up to at least the U.S. Supreme Court where it was a blogger had had used like an anonymous source and and they were afforded the same protections under under media protection. Right, as a reporter, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, and and it was uh, there was this weird thing. I was like, I felt so good and so bad at the same time because I'm like, <laughs> aha, like we we are the new media. We're citizen media, like what, whatever it is. You know, we have the same protections. We also have the same responsibilities. Right. Uh, and right. and that's, a, that's the thing. But then at the same time, I, that was the beginning of the mark of the war between new media creators and traditional media. And, and you know, folks that may not make the transition and, and they're going to be going to be stuck. Like I know, I know lots of people that came from like, you know, like you worked for network computing and worked for the original, you know, this is back in the AOL CompuServe days. Like we came through, we went to interop in, in those early sort of heyday, you know, when it was one of the only shows around. Yeah. Way back when it was NetWorld interop and it would fill up the Las Vegas convention center. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, we watch Halt and Catch Fire and I'm like, that's, that's it. Like it's, <laughs> it's kind of still going on. It's just that it's got vendor names uh, on top of it, you know, right. they host their own conferences of that size. Yeah, getting back to this whole content marketing thing, I think <clears throat> part of what the internet has done has changed, or the you know the the evolution of traditional gatekeepers has changed. You don't need uh, an independent show anymore to bring an audience to you. If you're a big enough company or an interesting enough company, you can have your own conference and bring two hundred, which could work, or twenty thousand, like a Cisco. So yeah, uh, that's also interesting how that's changing. And. The I love that we've created opportunity. You know, it also does create a lot of. You know, it's it's tough as a consumer when you do a, a Google search for something. You you kind of you may get a lot of stuff that that doesn't like Google naturally is trying to as an algorithm. You know, get you to the more popular content, and mm-hmm. that's you know for. But that's not necessarily just the only reason. But I mean, if it's backlinked, if it's crosslinked, if it's if you're seeing that stuff, then odds are it's you know citizen referral basically is that it's it's rising it's, up in the algorithm for some reason or other been vetted by multiple people as being worth a look at yeah and the that and that may not be a good thing depending on who that batch of readers is. <laughs> exactly there's a downside to that as well which we've seen and especially because you do the tech uh, you know, because you do like analysis and, and I've always, I've always fought this interesting internal battle of like, when do I talk about what I do as analysis versus, you know, commentary. And mm-hmm. there's a very distinct difference. And at one point somebody, I, I went to an event and, and I was listed as an analyst and somebody said like, so how did you become an analyst? I said, I, I said I was one. And, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's, that really was the, the, the barrier to entry. But I knew, like I knew in the back of my head, I'm not making this up as I go along. Like I'm following the financials. I'm doing other things. When I look at it, I'm just like, this is a really nifty product and it's got neat dials on it. I'm like, no, let's look at the health of the company and, and other things. So be, because you, you do that, do you ever feel like a, a deeper responsibility because you've got to, you know, you've got to be responsible for the, that opinion backed by numbers. Like, do you go back and revisit some of those things or like, how does that whole flow work? Yeah, we absolutely do feel responsible, particularly with network break when we're trying to provide some, some, some more context, some more insight uh, to make sure that what we're saying is right. Uh, that it's not just sometimes, you know, a gut feeling uh, and if it's a gut feeling, we'll say it's a gut feeling as opposed to having some kind of, uh, numbers behind it, uh, some kind of uh, analyst report, some kind of industry numbers, uh, some kind of Wall Street numbers, uh, and, and also being able to interpret those numbers and what they actually mean uh, is a skill that you have to learn. Um, so yeah, we do feel a responsibility to try to be accurate and to say when something is an opinion and when something is informed by either personal experience, by feedback we're getting from other folks in our channels uh, or by some kind of uh, metric that, that we can point to. And also like we, we've got this interesting thing. You realize quickly why insider trading is a really like tough thing. I, I worked in financials for like, I so I worked as a systems architect at big financial companies. And so I, I saw how the machine worked and you realize yeah. like, mm-hmm. how do you really separate? Like I, yeah. I talked with a friend and he knows a guy who works at a company and it sounds like they're about to go to IPO and like, am I now insider trading because I know that? Like, right. I don't, I don't know right. what that means. And it's a, it's a really weird, fuzzy, 
area around some of the stuff like that. Yeah, particularly for insider trading. Uh, the amount of shop talk that goes on around technology, uh, if you apply that to the financial markets, yeah, that would be very hard to parse out. Now, the, so the, the, the fun part of, of putting yourself boldly out there uh, how have you, you know, just like any, if you give, I've given talks and you tend to see it's the, the three way spread, right? You, you aim your talk at, at hopefully 60% of the audience, you know, at the, at the worst, you hope that you at least aim it at 33%. You're going to have 33 who are like not technical enough. And then 33 who had like, just got way too technical. And they're like, were you at the same talk? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you know, when you're doing this kind of content, how do you, do you see that edge layer feedback that comes back and like, no, you know, you, you totally, you, you went right by the real point or, you know, dug in too deep on this. Like, do, do you see that stuff and take it in? We do take it. Yeah, absolutely. We do see it. And we absolutely get that feedback on the same podcast. We'll get somebody who said, I wish you had gone deeper on this and somebody who was like, I had no idea what you're talking about. And so, yeah, you, you, you do try to strike a balance and we, you know, in terms of how we position particular shows like heavy networking, the name should tell you this is going to get real really quickly. So be prepared. Uh, um, but yeah, you're, it's, it's, a, I think impossible to satisfy 100% of everyone who's interacting with your content. And that's not really your goal. Cause if you're, I think if you did that, you'd probably end up with just a, very dull piece of mush that's you know kind of bland and and not really doing much. Uh, if you provoke yes. a reaction, good or bad, then not necessarily you've succeeded, but at least you've you've managed to engage someone, uh, and hopefully you're doing it in good faith and not just to cause outrage. But um, that that kind of engagement where you've provoked a reaction is is really what you're after. Yeah, I had a, I, I've got a a long time like a blog idea. Like I kind of I've learned I test my headlines in advance. Oh, good to you. Yeah. So what I do is I, I went out and I said if I wrote a blog called "Our Our Developer Advocates, the New Sales Engineers." blog would, would that would that would, would people think that was that was you know a tough title and i it created this incredible backlash just from like offering up that this could be the title and i did it on purpose i wrote sales engineers instead of systems engineers and i because mm -hmm. i really the, the core of it is hey we're all in sales like if you work for a company you, you don't have a sales job guess what <laughs> You're talking on behalf of the company. Yeah. Opinions are not your own opinions because you can get fired for something that you say on Twitter. Even though it says opinions are my own, guess what? <laughs> <laughs> yes, they're not. <laughs> they're, they'll be your own as you leave your job. That's right. And, and they'll be your own in the unemployment line, yes. So they're, like you said, there's this thing of like, you know, I could go and I could create these like, you know, incite these incredible, like what, you know, clickbait type of, of draw. And that tends to spur on comments and, and, and reactions. And that's what the, but again, if you're, if you're doing that in good faith to raise a particular issue, to draw out a comparison, to uh, make a point using a very potent metaphor or a comparison, a simile, again, if it's in good faith and that's always hard to judge, I think it's okay because if you are trying to provoke a legitimate discussion that you think needs to be aired, then, um, yeah, I, I, I don't, you know, if you're just, you know, throwing Molotov cocktails cause you like to watch things burn. That's a good story. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I would love to, I like to lead it with like, so despite what the headline may say, you know, this is kind of what we want to talk about. And like, I, I immediately say like, before you start screaming, like, <laughs> like before you start rage reading this article, I just want to let you know, I'm, I'm your friend. I do this, yes. for, like right. we're together through this, but I want to uncover some challenging topics uh, and it, and it's tough and I get, you get more confident and I guess, so if you look at like 10 years ago, Drew versus today, Drew, do you probably, are you, do you approach bolder topics more confidently now? Did you, did you find you? I do. I do. I, when I first started writing and first started seeing my name in printer on the web, I was very nervous. Am I going to get flamed? Are people going to take me down? Are people going to call me stupid? Uh, that was always a worry. Um, and so I think it made me a little bit more cautious, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but also might have led to a little bit more blandness. Now I'm willing to tackle topics that I think are compelling, interesting, and potentially controversial, you know, and I'll, and I'll take the fallout as it comes. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I've, I've built up a little bit of armor uh, against uh, criticism. 
did you and and that's i think that's there's a kind of a, a merger of of age wisdom and experience that that comes together to get that and and you, you i love when you see like new content creators come out and, and they get that voice you can see the strength and confidence yes. in their voice come through and like yes. ah nice this is cool this is what i wanted to see like i know this is in you the hard part though is is feedback if you if you give a talk or you you do a podcast you write an article and 500 people read it and three people hate it you're going to get three comments exactly and they're <laughs> all going to be bad <laughs> it, you're that the emotion of dislike is more likely to incent somebody to comment or reply versus you know, ah, that was a really good article. You never see that. Never like, this is a particularly well-read and well-written article. Thank you for yeah, your th comments. Thank you for your judicious uh, disposition and, <laughs> and careful, close analysis of this difficult topic. As I yeah. always say, like, when, you so, have, when your comment starts with, look, comma, <laughs> like, <laughs> Ooh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> hey, just wanted to let you know you stuck. <laughs> everything you believe is a lie. How do you, so how do you, do you, so how do you to get through you, those when, ones? When you get, when, when you get criticism, first you have to read it, you have to acknowledge it, uh, and you have to say, are they coming after me personally? Are they going after a specific point in the article on which maybe they have some ground and then I should actually consider this comment uh, in a little more, with a little more care? Uh, or can I just dismiss it because it's, uh, you know, somebody just throwing Molotov cocktails? You, you kind of learn how to parse out the criticism and find bits that are actually useful and informative. Um, you still have to deal with feeling bad about yourself, but you get over it because you understand it's the internet and um, <laughs> it's very easy to be a jerk when you're uh, behind, you know, a username. Yeah, well, it's, the, it's always that interesting thing. And I, the other thing as well is like, you, no matter how well, you know, how well produced and well read your content is, it's, it's you funny, every once in a while, I think about the bigness of it all. And, and I remember it's Penn Gillette from Penn and Teller. He says, mm -hmm. he goes, I, he says, I went on Celebrity Apprentice. And then all of a sudden, all these people started showing up at the show and saying like, hey, saw you on Celebrity Apprentice. No idea what you do, but I thought I would come and do <laughs> That's it. That's weird. <laughs> and he's like, he says, and I suddenly realized that if you look at the averages and the numbers, there are seven, you know, whatever, there's five billion people on, on the planet. And on average, Five billion people have no idea who we are. Like if you if you work the numbers out, it's going to be nearly one hundred percent of society yes. has no idea what we do. Yes. Uh, even if you have a, a a huge audience, it's probably thousands, tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands. Roll that against the average, not doing well. <laughs> well, that's I mean part of the thing I had to get over about being worried about criticism is that I learned as I produce more content, what's almost worse than getting negative feedback is getting nothing that if you right. write something you spend a lot of time on and you put it out there and then silence that's worse than having you know three or four people go oh, you're an idiot um so yeah that that's very true uh <laughs> it's a great big world and you're just one little person in it do you think that so when when you're when people are creating content they're thinking about this idea of content marketing which is this this kind of like made up thing that that occurred uh you know we, we, we wrapped this name around what we do, uh, mm -hmm. you know, but it's not just content creation, it's content marketing. It's literally like you said about your podcast, you've got to, you know, line up the, the people, figure out the script, figure out the arc, figure out all the stuff, record the podcast, produce the podcast, figure out the follow on, get a good image for it, create this media stream to make sure that it's going into the tweet role. And like, like that's, that's kind of like a, the part of content marketing. So how do you, how does content marketing change what you do versus just firing out a thousand words and, and putting it up on a blog? So I guess I would say, I think content marketing is a little bit different from traditional marketing. Traditional marketing to my sense is, is very explicit. It's buy brand X or think about brand X or you should get brand X because it's got 50% more than the competing brands, whatever more is. Uh, content marketing is more about, I think, providing your audience and you should have an audience in mind with something that's useful, it's relevant, uh, and it's germane to what they're doing. Uh, you can have the, you know, a little bit of a pitch in it, but 
you could read, you could take in that content and have had something useful, get some knowledge, get some tips, get some whatever, and walk away without actually ever interacting with a product or service. That's to me the difference between content marketing and traditional marketing. It's supposed to serve you something. And the people creating content marketing are hoping that because they serve you something, maybe you'll think, oh, I, maybe I should check out this product or whatever that's associated with it and sort of get that exchange. But content marketing in some ways is a little bit more risky than traditional marketing because you're giving somebody something without necessarily getting something in return. If you're doing content marketing well by actually producing useful information, some content marketing is, has, is just crap. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And what I, what I really appreciate in what some folks do particularly well and, and others that kind of like they, they put it under a veil is the, 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 the sponsorships and, and where you've been paid to create content that's because they hire you for your voice to tell a story about a product. And yeah, the packet pushers is very, the team is very explicit. Like this is a sponsored podcast episode and, and but you're not getting a, tell me how great are you? <laughs> you know, and that's your product better than every other product. Like it's, yes. that's yeah, not really packet pushers. We have to, we, we work very hard with sponsored shows to make sure that one, the sponsor recognizes they need to come prepared to talk about their technology deeply in a way that's going to be interesting, compelling, and useful to a network engineer. A network engineer needs to come away with some information that they didn't have before. It's not just a marketing spiel. And I've heard Greg and Ethan on the podcast do this when the guest is first on and we start the kickoff question and they, you can immediately hear that shift in the tone of their voice that they are now doing the marketing speak and they will go, stop, yeah. <laughs> back up, <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> take <laughs> off that hat, yeah. you're a real person, let's just have a conversation and then start it over again and really start to drill down into issues. We have to, we, we work very hard to do that again because we know people's time is limited and we want them to get something out of it. Even a show that you know is being paid for by a sponsor, we still hope you come away with something useful, and we work we work hard to do that consistently. Every once in a while, like I listen to I listen to like weird weird stuff. I I've, I've officially become my dad. I listen to talk, <laughs> AM talk radio and, and stuff like that. But because I love it, the happens to all of us. Yes. Right? If I look at the people that I I find you know admirable, it's like guys like Larry King and and James Lipton and like Joe Rogan for his podcast style and and you know, I, I love the the conversational stories that that come up and like, but what and you hear like great talk radio folks and then every once in a while they'll like slide one in on you and you don't realize that like, you know, I've had a real problem lately with getting up at night, but luckily thanks to the beetroot.com. I found it like, like wait, what? did I just, did, did you just like try to slip that one in that yeah. like you've got a urinary tract issue and, and you're, you drink beets for it? Like I, I'm like, wait a second. That wasn't, Exactly. You know, you, you risk your authenticity and your connection with the audience if you're sneaky about it. You, you need to be up with content marketing in particular. You need to be upfront that, you know, this is still a, a commercial arrangement. Uh, we're trying to provide you something useful. But yes, uh, th th there's money behind this or there's an aim behind this to get you to buy something. Uh, you, you've got to always be upfront because otherwise, yeah, you risk losing your credibility. If, if people feel like they're being tricked when they get to the end of something, that's that's terrible. That's the worst outcome. Yeah, and it's if I think of uh, it's the the closer to the thing that taste that that gets left in your mouth is often the what you measure as the experience for the entire thing. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and it was uh, Daniel Kahneman, uh, who's a behavioral psychologist and behavioral economist, what uh, went through about that whole thing of like if you watch a one hour you know, a one hour symphony. And then at the end, like you hear this, like, like a, a little tweak of something that's an out of tune violin. There was, he'd spoke with people and they said like that, that was ruined, like had destroyed right. the hour. Like, like for 59 <laughs> minutes, you thought this was the greatest thing, right. but you heard that little tweak and you're like, I'm never coming back here again. <laughs> like, wow. But that's, that's, there's it's a true. visceral thing, a psychological thing that's in there. And, and that's why it's, you know, maintain integrity throughout. Uh, with that saying, I know, know better sleep than when I use my pillow. And I, <laughs> I <Hi>, Eric. <laughs> one day, you know, if uh, if sponsors do line up, you know, it'll be. Uh, I want to make sure that if it's interspersed to sponsor content, you, know, you got to be upfront about it. And so, thank you for your honesty. Thanks for for having this chat, Drew. If you had advice. You know, like the quick tip, if someone wants to get started into kind of creating content and, and thinking about content marketing uh, versus just writing content, you know, what, what do you think are the, the top things they should start to look at? 
If you're going to do content marketing, if you're coming from a marketing organization and you want to get into content marketing, talk to knowledgeable people who are going to be able to help you develop content that's actually useful to your audience. I guess second is know your audience. Who are you trying to reach? Uh, if you're trying to reach technical folks, make sure there's technical information in there. Make it relevant to the audience you're going after. Uh, third, it takes time. It takes investment. Uh, this is not a, you know, it, it, it's the exact opposite of being at a trade show and getting leads in exchange for, um, you know, a, a stress ball with the vendor's logo on it. This is the opposite. You got to put in work, you got to put in time, you got to put in some investment. Uh, so be prepared. It's, it's, um, it's worth doing. I think it's very much worth doing, but it takes time and practice and you've got to be consistent. A hundred percent. Thank you very much. Like that's the advice that I think it, it's valuable for just about everything. Um, but definitely you, you start off with an audience of, of one and that's you listening back to your own podcast to make sure that it recorded right. And then it, it ramps from there. <laughs> that's right. Uh, the start with one and go from there. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, <clears throat> you launched a, a, a new blog recently and, and like just, you know, just to see it go from like zero to one. And you're like, ooh, you know, and then it's like one to like four, like, ooh. And <laughs> you like, get that dopamine hit, yes. Yeah, and, and now, you know, like years of doing it, I'm just about to cross the two million views mark on my own blog. And I'm Fantastic. like, that's nuts, you know, but, you know, at the start it was one, you're like, yay. <laughs> right. <laughs> you, you, relish right. Those you gotta, moments. Relish those moments, be humble, be prepared to work and stick with it. It, it really is time and persistence that are the keys. Yeah, no, it's it's good. Well, again, thanks very much, Drew. Uh, so again, how do folks get a hold of you and, and share positive feedback <laughs> with you? I'm accepting all feedback. It's at, uh, on, I'm on Twitter at Drew underscore CM, or you can find my blogs on packetpushers.net. Uh, Eric, thanks for having me on. It's it's fun to have the tables turn to be a guest. This was interesting. It's a, it's a rare treat when you don't have to prepare as much. So it's kind of nice. <laughs> and it's funny, I think, I, I always love when you when professional broadcasters and podcasters say like, whatever you do, you can't just like turn the mics on and start. I'm like, Oh boy. <laughs> I, I think that's actually what I do, but uh, man, I can do some preparation. So, uh, I, You're making I it this, work. You're making I hope, it. I hope this has been, this has been good. It's, I know I learned, I I'm the one I'm the audience of one that matters the most in this. So thanks very much for taking the time. My pleasure. You're listening to the Disco Palsy Podcast.